Hey, it's the Edupunks Podcast. I'm Craig Vitamin. I'm your host. This is the podcast for everyday educators and daily dis- disruptors. Uh, this week I'm chatting with my friend Junior Pena, who is actually my current house guest while Katie has been on the road. Uh, but Junior has been living here with me because he recently got a new job in Massachusetts, which is fantastic. So we actually talk about his entire journey from starting at the university where I work as an undergrad to now uh, being back in Massachusetts after a few detours in Florida. So we get to talk a lot about his time in Florida, a lot about his time in Massachusetts and what it's going to look like for him now back here in Massachusetts. We also dig a lot into professionalism. We dig a lot into our expectations with students and our expectations in our work and how sometimes it might be better to have no expectations and just go for it. So that's a pretty cool conversation that we get into, and I hope you all really enjoy it. Junior's one of my favorite people. A few years ago, we met up and have just like been on the periphery of each other's career for a really long time, and now that he's back in Mass, we're, we're going to hit the ground running together, and no better way than to have him literally living in the room next to mine. <laughs> so uh, this episode, you're going to hear some tunes from the new Sirius Black EP, uh, the EP is called Moon Talk, and it comes out on Near Mint Records in March, March 29th. But you'll get to hear a song called Whoa, and so I hope you really enjoy that. More on that a little bit later. And as a reminder, we're part of the Connect EDU network. Really proud to be a member of this organization that does nothing but spread podcasts and information about higher ed uh, resources through podcasting and through other uh, sources. If you want to learn more, go to connectedu.network on the internets and learn about all the great uh, uh, shows and resources that we have available for you. Um, I think that's all I have to start out. We'll dig into some other stuff in a little bit, but this is actually a pretty quick conversation, so I hope you can enjoy it in its nice, digestible length. Here we go! I'm here with Junior Pena in my living room. What's up, y'all? <laughs> <laughs> Junior's actually been my house guest for the last month, and now we're finally sitting down and chatting on the podcast. Yeah, it's taken a while, and we literally have been sharing the space, but... <laughs> but, like, I don't know, we, we have such an in, like, two ships in the night kind of setup because we really yeah. only get to hang out at night, because he's got to leave early. Yeah, real early. Real early. We'll get to why he's got to leave so early a little bit later. Yeah, absolutely. But Junior, why don't you tell folks who you are, what you do, how you got here? Yeah, yeah. So, hello everyone. My name is Junior Peña, as Craig mentioned. Um, I currently serve as the Assistant Director in the Leadership Engagement Advocacy and Diversity Office at Salem State University. I just wrapped up my first month there, actually last Thursday, so still Mm -hmm. very, very new. Um, And I transitioned actually from the University of Miami, where I was uh, working as an assistant director for uh, Multicultural Student Affairs for about three years um, or so right out of graduate school. 
Um, and really it, it was kind of quite the journey for me to, to get to that point. Um, so I did my undergraduate work at the university of Massachusetts, Boston. Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Where Craig happens to work, you know, my lovely alma mater. I'm a yep. big fan. <laughs> I was there today. <laughs> um, and so I studied psychology and uh, communication while I was there and uh, was like most folks really involved. I did orientation, was an orientation leader. Um, worked with our Office of Student Leadership and Community Engagement through days of service, alternative break trips, um, anything and everything. And then along with that, with our Freshman Leadership Institute. So I was heavily involved in some leadership development programs. Um, as an undergrad, I became a NASP undergraduate fellow. So through that program, was able to intern at the University of Vermont and at Northwestern University. And then also participate in a week-long leadership institute called the Dungey Leadership Institute. And so through all of those experiences, I felt like pretty good about entering the the profession and ultimately uh, pursued a master's degree at Florida State University, where I served as a graduate assistant in our Center for Leadership and Social Change on campus, which was absolutely amazing. Loved the folks that I was able to learn from there and uh, the students I was able to work alongside. So now I'm here um, at Salem State. Hell yeah. So you covered a pretty good swath of your life <laughs> yeah in about a minute and a half which is pretty sick uh but let's let's go back to what what even made you want to get into education in general was yeah. it yeah. some of your undergrad experiences at umb yeah so i would say it was it was a combination and and it's funny because i was actually having this conversation with some of the the students that are considering higher ed and they had asked me like what my purpose is and um I kind of respond always with my why is my who. And what Mm. I mean by that is who I am is a big reason as to why I do the work that I do. Mm. And so um, as a first-generation college student coming from a very poor background, um, a single-parent household, I, you know, had a really, really difficult time navigating. And I actually, and people don't know this, I hated my first semester at UMass Boston and Mm -hmm. was planning to transfer. And I had a really tough time getting connected. But um a lot of the opportunities I had on campus is what kept me connected to community, helped me, you know, get a lot of connections with students and, you know, community members. And I realized that I was able to um, navigate the institution as a result of the mentors and administrators that were on campus. Yeah. And that took a shot on me because uh, I am I was definitely not the person I am today. And I, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's how I was in college. So. Yeah, yeah. Like I, you know was pretty reckless and, you know, n- nowhere near the point or, you know, place where I'm at right now, which is good. It shows that I've developed and learned and grown. A little but, bit. Um, <laughs> but a lot of people, you know, took a chance on me, which is really dope. And so when I think about my work, it goes back to that piece around, like, I'm trying to be that person that can can take a chance on someone and really be able to challenge them to, to be better and show up for one another a little bit more intentionally. That's awesome. Now, when you went from your undergrad, did you like when you got involved with the Nuff program or yeah. Nuff program? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I didn't want to like do program program. <laughs> um, was that something that just like was proposed to you? Because when I was an undergrad, I was super involved. I was a student body president. I was an yeah, RA, yeah. but I had no idea anything like that existed. Yeah, who brought that up to you? Yeah, um, my boy Sherrod Williams. <laughs> Sherrod Williams, my mentor and longtime, you know, friend at this point, he was the director of the Office of Student Leadership and Community Engagement, and he had heard about the Nuff program. Um, 
because he was involved with leadership. And so leadership um, kind of had a lot of different higher ed folks that had enough fellows and he had known the program a little bit. And so when he had seen that I was really involved, I was definitely not thinking about higher ed. And so he really just provided it as an opportunity for me to learn more about the profession and never once pressured me to be like, oh, this is perfect for you or this is what you need to do. It was really more so like, check it out so you can be able to see if it's for you. Mm-hmm. And if not, then at least you you realized that and you you know checked off all the boxes and made sure that you were good on that front. Um, so I think that approach is something that I even take now when I talk to students is like, really, let's talk about why it is that you want to do this. Provide them with some you know context around like, you're not going to be a basically a glorified student leader if you do mm-hmm. this work. Yep. And there's a lot of folks that do it in that way, but I don't think it's necessarily successful or sustainable. Um, if well, you we talk it. we talk a lot about, and I talk to a lot of people on this podcast about how if you're going to enter higher education, if you're going to enter student affairs, you also need to know that it, you're not going into it just to continue college. Yeah, no. Like you can't have not. that mentality. You can't <laughs> have the mentality of, oh, I'm going into this because I want to take my student leader experience that I had to the next level and basically expand that. Like that's not how it works. Yeah. It's like now you're not like a a CEO SGA president, you know, I don't know. So, and I think a lot of people do approach it that way. Right. And I think then they get kind of jaded or um, if not worse, they stay in the profession and kind of create a lot of people that approach it in the same way. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, for real. And then using your experiences with Nuff, how did you go about looking, or even just in general, how did you go about looking into graduate programs? Yeah. How so, was that experience for you? I loved it. So I'm the type of person that loves to like research and find out things. And so I had a blast with it. Um, I was very intentional that most of the schools I applied to were down south. And it's mainly because I just wanted to experience a different region. I wanted to experience a different outlook on higher ed. Because you're like from this area, from yes. the Boston area. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I'm from Massachusetts, lived all my life in Massachusetts up until that point. And so uh, it was a huge mm-hmm. shift. And so the only program that I applied to really in the Northeast was the University of Vermont. And it's because I love the folks there. I mm-hmm. love the programs focused great on... great program. Yeah, yeah. Like on social justice education. And I almost went there, but... Uh, when the opportunity presented itself to go down, you know, to Tallahassee and be able to like really do work that was interdisciplinary and intersectional was really, really, you know, an opportunity I couldn't pass up mm-hmm. on top of the fact that, you know, I was able to experience Florida and all of Florida, both, you know, yeah, the, yeah. The, the part that kind of reminds you of the South and the part that, you know, reminds you of uh, a lot of culture. So, yeah. So for me, the biggest thing was what can I get out of the experience? Not only um, the cohort size. So I didn't want a, a program that had a huge cohort because I did want to be able to, you know, get to know the folks in my program. Um, faculty was a, a role. It wasn't as big for me. It was really more so course kind of credit and what, you know, classes you would be taking. And mm-hmm. then um, location was a big piece for me. Yeah. Hell yeah. What did you think about your time there? Um, it's actually funny. So I'm going to be presenting at NASPA in 2019, uh, LA. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and one of the things is there were moments and things that I didn't necessarily expect in areas of difficulty for sure. Like when I initially transitioned, I had a really hard time kind of wrapping my head around the way some faculty members approached, uh, learning and development. And it was really, really difficult. But when I think about my time there, I absolutely loved it. Um, given those little pitfalls and those areas where 
I wasn't necessarily expecting it. Something that I was actually reflecting on um, in preparation for tonight was this this piece around like a lot of the content and the philosophical approach that I have with this profession, I learned at Florida State from people that just held me accountable. And I don't know that every institution has professionals that are willing to just challenge you so yeah. that you can be better, you know? Um, so really being there, I understood that I needed a, to learn a lot. And even till this day, I still view it in that way because there's just always something that you can develop, learn and grow. And the people around you are a big uh, kind of like component of that is being able to be around folks that are okay challenging you and holding you accountable to being better. So you, so in going to FSU, that campus is pretty notorious in a lot of ways around <laughs> yeah. its sports, around its student population. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, I ended up going to UMass Amherst, which is pretty notorious for its student population, yeah. too. What was that shift like going from a campus that didn't really have, like, I know UMass Boston. Yeah. The campus life is not the same as it is anywhere else because <laughs> yeah, it's no. very commuter based. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was it like being, like, having that kind of, like, culture shock? Um. It was cool. I <laughs> so for me, I had a blast in just learning and developing. Cause like at UMass Boston, you have to be very strategic about how you program and how you put yes. on events. You have to it's almost. It's so hard. Be, it's so difficult. So for me, I was like, oh, this is way easier. Yeah. And obviously, good for you. <laughs> and obviously, you don't actually want to like put it in those terms, but in a way, it's what it was. Cause you just had such a like engaged, large population of students um i think some of the overlap though for both is that there's still a finite group of students that are overly involved overly connected and that you see more often than others and so um in both experiences i always think about like who are we missing and like what is it that we can do in terms of assessing or reaching that person to ensure that we can increase that number of like returning student that's continually engaged and wanting to you know contribute to their community and it's tough because obviously everybody in our profession in some capacity has gotten to that point and so it's about how do we turn some of those other students that maybe don't have that that connection to their institution to the point where they feel really good about it yeah that's wild and i don't know that i have an answer for it you know what i'm saying like i'm like it's, it's tough especially at a commuter campus because like salem state that i'm at right now is pretty heavily commuter as well um and it's just tough because like students have other things that they have to be considering mm -hmm. and it isn't just, you know, going to campus or living on campus and navigating that. And I know for me, it wasn't just that either. I worked a lot. I managed a lot of other responsibilities. And so um, I think though that connection can be really, really dope and meaningful and different because you know that you're providing something that those students may have never, ever expected or thought about yeah. in their life. That's real. And especially at the UMB programming game, like you, you mentioned, like a lot of students, they're on campus to go to class and then go home yeah. a lot of times, or campus work go home. Yeah. And a lot of times it's almost impossible to get to, like there's like a handful of students I see all the time, and those are yeah. the students that are doing the, th doing the things. But like for the most part, the campus is not, like super active all the time and granted since i've been there it's been changing a lot yeah because i yeah, program like crazy <laughs> and i push the people around me to program like crazy as well and so it's shifting a lot but especially like when i went to umass amherst it was non-stop everywhere yeah like students and because umass amherst is like 
95% residential because there's like 56 residence halls and it's obscene. And so there's just students everywhere all the time. And I went there straight from Oregon State, which is like a quiet college town, which Amherst <laughs> is a pretty quiet college town too. But at least Corvallis had like a structure to it. Like, yeah, it was yeah. like there's stuff to it. But UMass Amherst is Amherst. Yeah, literally. It is Amherst. And so you can't escape the university when you're there. And so that was like a huge shift for me to even like have this new experience in Massachusetts. It was pretty wild for for me. Here I feel like we both had pretty pretty big shifts. But how did you handle that? When you think about it, like what was the biggest thing that helped you kind of navigate that or transition your approach? Um, I think it was getting out of the mindset of um, having expectations mm. because I came into grad school being like, okay, this is what it's going to be like. Every day is going to be like this. I'm yeah. going to have this great student staff. <laughs> yeah. And then I had to be like, oh, no. You know what? I don't want to have these expectations because then what if it they fall away or what if it doesn't live up? Like I don't want to be disappointed. So I ended up basically living each day trying to be present at mm. UMass Amherst because I struggled with that a lot in my undergrad and I took a gap year between mm. undergrad and grad school. And so like I took an extra year to like grow the hell up and I think that gap year helped me kind of like recenter myself because coming back to graduate school, like it was a, it was a concentrated choice. Yeah. Yeah. Like I wasn't just going straight from undergrad. So I wanted to make sure that if I was going, I was going seriously, I was going for the right reasons yeah. and I was going to be present while I was there. And I had to kind of just like throw away any expectations. And that was different for me because I'm a, I don't know. I am a pretty spontaneous guy. <laughs> I have you zero are. I have zero impulse control but uh for the most part grad school was me just trying to get the shit done. Mm. So and do my work and get it honestly get out of there. Well we like, have... in, in the best way. So let me ask you this though cuz I I alluded and kind of like described a little bit about like my choice to go down to Florida but like you went across country what was yeah. What was that all about? What was your motivation for that? I wanted to get out of Oregon. <laughs> like, I mean, I'd lived in Oregon my entire life. Mm. I had lived in Oregon for 24 and a half years at that point. Uh. And so um, my whole thing was I saw a bunch of my friends just sticking around okay. and thinking like Portland, Oregon is the, that's where everyone's going to be. Or even Seattle. I was like, you know what? I think I'm meant for more. So I'm going to go try the Northeast and uh. Uh, just gave it a shot. I applied to a few other programs, but Amherst was like my number one. So wow. uh, when I got in there, I was like, hell yeah, I'm going there. I'll figure out the assistantship stuff later. And I ended up getting one pretty quickly. So, well, three pretty quickly, I suppose. Mm. So, yeah. No, it was it was definitely out of a, I need to go do something new. For sure. Because I didn't want to get stagnant. Because that bores me. Mm. Like a lot. A whole lot. <laughs> I feel that. <laughs> All right. Just a couple things uh, to break this episode up a little bit. We had the vinyl giveaway last week during the off week uh, from the podcast. Gave it away just yesterday. Announced the winner. A uh, guy on Instagram named Iowa Duck. 
very excited to send him nine vinyl records that were given to us by a bunch of our sponsors, including Near Mint Records, which you're going to hear some serious black a little bit later, Spartan Records, 6131 Records, uh, Disposable America, uh, Native Sound, a bunch of great labels donating us and just giving us the ability to uh, share with a bunch of uh, a bunch of people to just follow the podcast on Instagram. That was the only directive. Share it and and follow us on Instagram. Got us a few more followers, which is really great. Really excited to send a, a, a hefty box of records to someone right now. Uh, I hope to do more giveaways like that in the future. We did one last year. Maybe we'll do another one later this year. That'd be pretty cool. Also, I am going to hype up Art of Survival one more time this week in uh, the month of hyping up Art of Survival since Katie Ham is still on the road. Uh, they come back actually this weekend. Uh, if you're listening to this on the on the day that it posts, the 20th, uh, Katie comes home on Saturday and hopefully we'll get a chance to sit down and chat about their experiences on the road and their experiences leaving higher ed soon. But if you want to support our nonprofit, Art of Survival, go to artissurvival.com and learn about all the cool stories and whatnot that we are sharing. We actually shared our first new new uh, uh, story last Friday that we haven't shared in months. So I'm really excited to be making the art and sharing the stories again. It's been a nice, a nice uh, change of pace again. Also, go to patreon.com slash artofsurvival if you want to become a monthly donor to Art of Survival. That'd be really helpful. Uh, we we kind of just do this on our own and of our own volition. And granted, Katie's been making some good donations on the road, but we could use really anything and any support that, that you can throw our way. That'd be really great and really helpful. Um, that's uh, all I've got for this segment. Let's get back into this conversation with Junior Pena. So once you got into the professional game... Yeah. Stayed in Florida, went to the U. Yeah. Yeah. So what was that like for you? What was your job search like? It seemed like it didn't last long for you. It did not last long for me at all. Actually, big, big free agent. <laughs> we always kind of talked about that though. Cause like junior and I have always had this in our mind that like, we are the new generation of student affairs. <laughs> like we really are. Yeah, yeah. And I remember we had like a brunch a couple years ago. Yeah, where we, we sure did. We sat down and we're like, okay, this is what we're gonna do. Five years into our profession, this is what we're gonna do. Ten years, like we're gonna take this shit over. And now we're both in Massachusetts, <laughs> so know. watch out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I have some big plans now that I'm in Massachusetts. Yeah. Just wait. <laughs> so what was it like at the U? What was that yeah. search like? What was like getting there? Yeah, so my search was very fast, and it's like I always tell people it, it was just odd and how much it all kind of connected. So um, when I was searching, I did go to TPE that year. NASPA was at uh, at Indianapolis, and so it was really affordable for a lot of folks to be able to fly in. It was right in the middle of the country, and so it was actually like a world record amount of schools were on on the, the placement exchange side, and so I definitely participated. Um I hustled to get a lot of scholarships and things and help funding that entire experience. But um, while I was there, I was very intentional about trying to pursue work that was either around identity development slash diversity and inclusion, leadership development, or um, in some instances, community engagement slash community service, because those were the main areas that I had done a lot of my work. And so... Um, and I usually don't tell people this because then they feel like some type of way about it. And then they'll be like, oh, junior, this or that. But so 
I did TPE and I ended up doing, I believe, if I remember correctly, six on-campus interviews in the the month of April. Jesus. Yeah. And so it got to the point where I was doing literally like I was in, for one point, it was like two and a half weeks worth of days back to back to back of on-campus interviews. And I was doing homework in airports falling asleep on the bed and just like (laughs) knocking out and just really repackaging, you know, underwear and things of that nature. Um, Really living the dream. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, the University of Miami, I found out about the position. This is kind of like a funny story. During our visiting days for Florida State University, I interviewed a guy, uh, Jesse, who's now like a really good friend of mine. um, And he was the like the current assistant director at the University of Miami for my job. And I interviewed him for my assistantship because they were breaking it up into two. Um, And I asked him and I was like, yo, so I noticed on your resume that you're working at the University of Miami and you're the assistant director for multicultural student affairs. Does that mean that job's going to be open? And he was like, yeah, it is. Look for it. It's going to be on TPE's website. So I looked for it. It was there. And so I applied and interviewed with the director at the office um, that year. And it was 2016. So um, I wasn't expecting to actually go there because I really didn't want to stay in Florida at that point in time. So I interviewed all over. And it just so happened to be that I really loved the students that I was working with or had the potential to work with there. Um and I signed my official kind of like contract and, you know, verbal agreement for the University of Miami the day of my hooding ceremony, which was April 29th. And then the following day was the official graduation at Florida State. Mm. And that was my birthday, April 30th. So, mm. yeah, it, it was Still pretty falling <laughs> into place. Yeah. yeah, it was pretty cool. And I and I kind of had that. And if I look back at it, I would be honest with you, I probably wouldn't ever do it. But um. I had a a very quick timeline because May 1st, I was going to be leaving campus and going for leadership. So I was helping coordinate the leadership program on campus. And so we were going to Panama City Beach with, you know, 120 students. Um, And I was the one that was kind of coordinating one of the days of service for the entire program, which was really extensive. Um, So, yeah, um, pretty wild weekend. But that's how I got to the University of Miami. (laughs) <laughs> so in doing the multicultural student student uh student affairs work yeah um what did you find some of the bigger challenges in working in in that specific work yeah well obviously everybody that does this, does that kind of work will tell you that you're always under resourced you're completely understaffed and you're completely underpaid all of which are true but i didn't necessarily think were the hardest things i think one of the biggest issues i had or like difficulties was navigating how to get to the point where you can do the programming you want to do i think a lot of people have preconceived notions around what identity work looks like what advocacy work looks like and it almost inherently leads to this conversation around people think and particularly executive level leadership think that you're creating like these militant protesting kind Mm -hmm. of students and in reality it's kind of like the opposite. You're really helping students understand why they feel so frustrated and angry and maybe even sad or, you know, um, hurt because of the the way their institution isn't necessarily honoring or um, understanding their perspective or their issues while navigating the campus itself. And so, yeah. And one of the biggest skills that I learned in being in that work was how to be really creative in what you say and how you frame things so that people can feel like they agree with you, but they don't necessarily know what the actual program is mm-hmm. or what the intended outcome is. Um, Cause sometimes you just need to be able to like make the program happen. 
Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It was tough. Um, <laughs> really, really, really tough. But I think, um, one of the core beliefs that I have and the reason why I love to do identity specific and advocacy work is because I truly believe that students that protest, students that bring up issues with an institution, love the institution so much that they want every student that goes to that institution to feel the same way about it. And I think if we approach our work from that outlook rather than a deficit or an outlook like they hate the institution or they want it to make it look bad on news or whatever, mm-hmm. which tends to be the the perspective, then you're going to get a very different outcome. But I think typically those students care so much about their institution, they want to make sure that everybody else can can feel the same way about it. Well, and I think that that's a pretty consistent, I don't know, uh, experience for a lot of students. A lot of the students that I've ex- interacted with that are like do activism work and uh, organizing and whatnot, I never hear it coming from a space of we don't like this university it's always like we want to make this university better yeah and we want to make it more inclusive for for people in spaces and so there's just this flawed perspective of the older guard of higher ed admin folks that view any sort of dissent as a threat yeah and that threat is so unfounded because they're basically creating their own problem yeah and then they put up blockages in front of students that if they just didn't things would be fine (laughs) yeah absolutely and i think that you hit on a really big note like this concept of dissent or the perception of dissent right because it's almost like folks want to have like unquestioned loyalty and i don't think you can earn unquestioned loyalty until you've proven that same level of loyalty to the mm-hmm. the people that you work with and the the students that go to your institution and i just don't believe in this non-reciprocal nature of like really weird sense of loyalty that a lot of you know kind of like folks that have been in the profession expect and want to see i don't know it's weird well, I guess even going back to when I was at Amherst, there's like a whole center there deve- devoted to uh, doing uh, organizing and activism. And yeah. so it they would regularly have protests and uh, demonstrations. And so it was really cool to see that the university like put money behind that yeah. to see that sort of work happen. And I, I wish I saw it at more universities, mm. but a lot of universities just won't give the students that much trust or faith that they're coming from a space that they actually like the students actually care rather than are just trying to like stoke. I hate to use the word anarchy trying to like <laughs> cause chaos. Cause like, that's like one of my favorite words, but there's no other way that other like admin would look at it like that. Yeah. Like they would call it that. Yeah. And without having a good understanding of what that even means. So it's, sort of bullshit i think in a lot of yeah yeah and i think you hit on another really good point because so you mentioned amherst right did a really good job of like almost institutionalizing and organizing an organizing culture right and i think where we're at as a profession is where we're hiring a bunch of people to do 
diversity work by themselves, right? So we have mm-hmm. these chief diversity officers popping up everywhere all over the nation. We have these, you know, one person or two person offices being, you know, uh, staffed by folks, you know, to do diversity and inclusion work, but they don't necessarily have institutional support, resources, personnel, or anything to be able to create change, but it's all about the perception of creating change or caring mm-hmm. about the issue. Yeah. Um, and I think it just further kind of pushes this this notion that, administrators particularly think that students will see that as like a a good step and they will for the moment, but they're smart enough to understand that that's not enough to be able to actually create change at an institutional level. Well, and you hit on something great too. Look at us just (laughs) doing this. We're create, we're bringing in jobs and we're bringing in professionals and it happened to me. One person being brought in to do work. Yeah. To do the work of like multiple people. Yeah. And granted, that's budget constraints, blah, 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 whatever. But like I my job covers so much shit. Yeah. And so many other people are brought in to cover so much shit. And at the end of the day, we don't have the time. We don't have the energy to put behind all even if we had a huge dedicated group of students that were doing so much work and getting so much done, we still wouldn't be able to actually reach the full potential because offices should have these like multiple coordinators, multiple whatever to actually like hold this stuff down. But there's no, there's no, while there is structure, there's no like structure of funding preparation, real realistic, uh, understanding of what it looks like to run an office like this, like expecting an office to run, like Katie's office at Leslie before they left, they were basically doing the work of like three people and there were three people in that office. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so it felt like there is just this great disparity of understanding what it means to get the work done these days. Yeah. And I think that there's also an undue amount of burden and stress that's put on to like new professionals as we transition to the workplace, because there's an expectation or assumption that since we're younger or tend to be younger and, you know, tend to be in, you know, non committed relationships, quote unquote, right. That we have more time to be out to be allocating towards our work versus our counterparts that are married or have kids or who have been in the prep, profession for amount of time right so i think it puts an undue amount of burden and stress on new professionals to be able to balance all these different you know um opportunities and responsibilities and to handle it without ever complaining or without ever advocating for themselves which i just think is so difficult because the second we do it's like we then have to walk on eggshells because we don't want anyone to think that we're actually trying to like subvert anything exactly because then we're (laughs) then we're looked at as like needy or entitled entitled oh my god you're entitled and you have to pay your dues right and i'm just like I just don't know that we're ever going to get to the point where we feel good as a profession until we start addressing the issues in how we um, train, develop, and help our new professionals transition to the workplace. Because I just think, I get that the training piece is difficult when you're doing a bunch of stuff, but my general rule in how I approach development for graduate staff anyways is like the three T's to success. And it's treatment, training, and trust. If you train people accordingly, you treat them like you train them, and you trust them, 
they'll show up and they'll show up for you every single day just so long as you keep on doing those things and so I just don't think we ever do enough training and we don't treat people like we've trained them properly so we you know end up micromanaging and really making you know our young professionals lives really difficult and I use we very loosely because I don't identify with this but I do think a lot of um folks tend to operate in this this process and so I just think we need to emphasize a little bit more time on the preparation and development of our, our you know, new professionals. Well, and I feel like a lot, because a lot of times we're churned through these higher ed programs. <laughs> we're just cranked out clones of each other, really. <laughs> so many people really are, admittedly. Uh, and then we're just like pasted into this job where we're then expected to hit the ground running, which some of us can I'm okay. I was okay with it. I made that transition three years ago. Just hit the ground running. Tried yeah, to yeah. figure it out as I went. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. And at the same time, like, I think that a lot is said for, and granted, my supervisor is fantastic, but gave me hardly any direction when I first started my job. Yeah. And I think a lot can go a lot, it can go a long way to have good transitions yeah. and good, even like, mentorship setups in uh new for new professionals uh, and i know a lot of the like professional organizations do it but doing it at a university level is important that's actually something we're trying to develop right now at emb mm, that's dope yeah i don't know how it's gonna go but <laughs> we'll figure it out i guess oh my gosh uh speaking of jobs <laughs> I didn't know another transition for this. How, how are you liking your new gig? Yeah, uh, I absolutely love it. So in my role in the lead office, a lot of the work that I'm going to be doing and have already started doing is in not only creating and developing different initiatives and programs around advocacy, diversity, and leadership and engagement, but then also um, facilitating a lot of our bystander intervention training around you know sexual assault, domestic violence, stalking. And then also we're looking to incorporate some Um, intervention processes and kind of steps to intervening when there's like discriminatory language or overtly racist things that you see out in public it's just been growing to be so common in our current you know society and times Mm -hmm. Um, and then also thinking about programs and training such as um, our version of an LGBTQ plus ally development program that's comprehensive tiered and really delves into a lot of the the content that's necessary to support our LGBTQ community on campus. Um, So just thinking a lot about training development and what are initiatives and programs that we can build. And it's just been awesome. I I feel really affirmed in the work that I'm doing, appreciated in the way that I'm approaching it. I'm encouraged to ask a lot of questions and challenge things according to things, which I love. Um, I'm a pretty vocal person, so I'll always ask a question if I feel like I just don't understand our process and everyone's been really receptive to it. And I, you know been continually encouraged to do so and so it's been awesome i've only been there for a month and so i'm taking it in strides but it's been a really really good transition and i think one of the things that for me was really important was i always wanted to come back and work at a a state university or a public university here in massachusetts because it's the education i got i i relate and connect to the experience and i feel like the students i have met i just like i understand and i can connect with on an different level and i loved love love the students that i worked with at um but just the the reality and the experience is very different which has been awesome and a a really cool um breath of fresh air oh for sure i imagine like 
I know plenty of people that have gone to Salem State, and it's a, yeah, it's not a too big of a far cry from UMB, but it's definitely one of those spaces where you're still able to have like a pretty good campus culture. Um, do you foresee any like projects you might be developing on your own there yet? Um, so I haven't necessarily thought too much about additional initiatives because I've really been focusing on learning my role, but I think that there's going to be a lot of room for collaboration. And one of my goals is once I've really developed an understanding of my role and capacity is to start thinking about how do we bridge some connections with some of our neighboring institutions and different universities that are on the area so we can make the North Shore a little bit more accessible and connected and the work that we're doing. So uh, we're actually in the process right now of collaborating collaborating on an initiative with Wentworth University, North Shore Community College, and some other folks um, for our our brotherhood program on campus. And so creating and identifying ways that we can build some of those those bridges with other universities would be an amazing kind of like vision for me long term. That's awesome. Those are good places to connect with too. Hell yeah. Now, I kind of want to end this part of the podcast with a thing that you and I are very different on. Okay. <laughs> we are very different in one specific aspect of our role, and that is how we dress. Uh. <laughs> Junior wears the tie. Yes. <laughs> he wears the suit. He 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 looks the part. Yes, I do. Y'all know I don't. <laughs> yeah. I have not worn a tie since my interview for my job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> Can you tell me a little bit about, and I'm just curious, because I've talked to plenty of people on this podcast who who wear the tie. Yeah. Even a couple punks, like through and through punks. (laughs) Can you talk to me about your motivations behind wearing the tie? Yeah. I'm just endlessly curious, and I hope this gets into a good conversation. Yeah, and this is actually going to be kind of deep. So... To give some context, I I do wear the suits, I do wear the ties, I do like the the clothing, um, and I and I put my own flair to it. So I tend to pick some bright colors and you know really nice patterns. And so the biggest thing for me, and I actually was having this conversation literally today over message um, over like an article that that I shared. Um, I think while. I would love to dress in whatever way that I want. I fully understand that the package I present in provides some limitations on that front. And specifically as a professional of color with a beard and with a racially ambiguous outlook, if I show up wearing certain kinds of things, especially in Massachusetts, because I grew up in Massachusetts, there's a perception and kind of assumption about what I'm bringing to that space. Mm-hmm. And while I could care less about that, I would hate for that assumption to make it so that someone would refuse to listen to me or acknowledge my worth or my contributions to a space just without ever allowing me to speak. And yeah. so... um some people see it as like, well, that's, you know, their loss and I agree with, but I also understand that in terms of positionality, I have a huge role in holding a lot of my colleagues accountable and in holding a lot of the folks that I work with accountable. And so um, if it means that I just got to sparse up a little bit of my look and make it a little, you know, a little bit more personable for me and a little bit more, you know, my approach to it, then so be it. But I just would hate to lose an opportunity to actually be able to advocate because of people's assumption of how I present myself. Mm. Okay. Yeah. I respect it. Yeah. And I, and I literally was having this conversation. I think it's like 
for me in an ideal situation, I would wear, you know, jeans with some fresh sneakers. I have a ton of sneakers and I have a ton of, you know, really dope shirts and long sleeves and things. But I just know for a fact that if I were to present in that way, I would be held to a different standard than a lot of other folks. Well, and I always come back to this conversation because I know that the main reason I can get away with it is being a white dude. And, but at the end of the day, if I were to show up in a suit, in the tie, doing the work that I do specifically, yeah, mental health support, doing sexual health education, no one's going to fucking listen to me. Yeah. Because it's so inauthentic for me. Yeah. And... Like, especially having the tattoos and everything. Like, granted, again, there's a lot of privilege built into it. But it's also, like, I I so sorely need to feel comfortable yeah. wherever I am. And, like, ties give me claustrophobia, tight clothing, multiple layers. So, like, today I just had a pair of, like, I don't know, what are these, joggers? I had yeah. a pair of joggers and a white sweater on all day. I and know, was I was kind of jealous. I was comfy jealous. as hell. And, uh, <laughs> and I wear a band shirt or a, a UMass Boston polo. Yeah. I'll, I'll be on brand. I'll wear a polo. I'll wear a short sleeve button up. Yeah, yeah. I'll wear a flannel. But, like, oh, the tie is hard for me. I know. And it's I hard. and so <laughs> I've, I've worn the tie up here sparingly just because mainly you don't really have to. I just wear a bun up with a sweater over it <laughs> for the most part. But Campus culture is different in the South too, right? There's a lot of expectations, right? Yeah, and especially the type of institution. Did that groom you a little bit? Absolutely. I mean, it's like bow tie culture for sure in the South and like being able to like – it's it's a lot more um, attached to like these established hierarchies and traditions and kind of formalities in a lot of ways. And un- like if you just have to be real, undoubtedly there's a uh, disproportionate level of respect and acknowledgement that comes with whether you're dressed that way or not. Um, and that's just real. Um, so for me, uh, the way that I see it is that I navigate it by providing my own flavor to the the outfits and the looks, and um, being able to just understand that whenever I'm speaking, I'm authentic to my voice, and being able to hold folks accountable to the way that I approach things. And so that's the best that I can do at this point. But yeah, that's the main reasoning behind the tie. And I love the question. I think it's a yeah. great. I think it's a great discussion point. And I think something that we need to kind of deconstruct and think a little bit more critically about and actually i know you know you and i have had this conversation but i found it interesting that now naspa is even putting in their their emailing and some of these other things to like you don't have to wear a suit yeah. you can wear Be whatever a more you, casual yeah you can wear whatever you feel comfortable with so it's interesting because i feel like there's enough you know there's a mass voice at this point talking about this level of comfort and yeah how you you know perform professionalism in a lot of ways right um well so, i uh I had a conversation with someone at the ACPA caucus last year about how how whiteness shows up, but then how whiteness is like ingrained in professionalism. Yeah. Because there's so many of those expectations. If you're going to be taken seriously, you basically need to dress white. Yeah. And act white. Yeah. And it's so fucked up. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I feel like that that's like one of the things for me that I've always felt good about is that I, I don't know that I act any differently whether I'm wearing a tie or not, right? Yeah. I think I'm still pretty, and I mean, you, you can tell me, I stay pretty even keeled to who yeah. I am. Yeah. Um, and so 
Yeah, that's what keeps me kind of going is being able to stay true to who I am, but just understand that there's some um, greater so greater systems at work. But what and I always tell this every job that I start at, my one goal is to become powerful enough at an institutional level where I can mandate that shorts are okay to wear in my office or in my division or hell and, yeah or in whatever kind of capacity that I can right even if I it's wear like two them or three. all summer baby yeah, yeah. short shorts showing off the knee tats yeah that's what know? I'm doing yeah like shorts like that's the the level I'm trying to get at you know <laughs> all right now it's time for the music break portion of the podcast, bringing you tunes from the new serious black EP called Moon Talk. Uh, it is coming out on we are Near Mint Records. Go to wearenearmint.com and get yourself a copy of it on either vinyl or cassette. You can also get some shirts. This new EP is uh, fantastic uh, because it's coming out shortly after he released an album that came out in October that was fantastic as well. So Serious Black is uh, a hip-hop artist in Indianapolis who has come up through the DIY punk community, playing the same basements and clubs as a bunch of bands that are coming up. And the dude is basically doing to DIY what punk has have been doing to hip hop. And so it's really great to see that this guy is crushing it now and that Corey Purvis over at Near Mint Records is throwing a bunch of support behind him because his stuff is great and you're about to hear a song called Woe that is fantastic and I hope that you really enjoy it and that once you hear it you'll go over to wearenearmint.com or find Sirius Black on Bandcamp and support him today. All right, let's get to this song called Woe by Sirius Black. Woke up on the side of a one-way, Conway. Show me in a dream while on this bloody Sunday. Crimson, moon came down into my boot ring. Two planes lifted crashing on top of the food chain. Coming back, I was up the yacht. No, I'm up that. No, I'm face fucking up scars. Looking sunny at Got this pack roll. Been reloading in the stars, trying to shoot an eight ball into a black hole. Black, hole. black, black, he a rap bully in a black body with a black hoodie. Get tapped like a hi hat back on the track. Ready to tap, 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 tap. Government is that heat that bleed through the oven mitt, but they loving it. Then the alien came down, gave me the keys to the mothership for the covenant. Bring it back like talking streets with the mark of the beast. Take no feast if we starving to eat. Fuck that, I'm a dog barking a leash. Fuck that, I'm a dog barking the street like that.
That was Woe by Sirius Black. If you like what you heard, go to wearenearmint.com and pre-order yourself a copy of the cassette or vinyl versions of Moon Talk. It comes out March 29th. You can get that right now. Hope you dug it. I really loved it. And now let's get back to this conversation with Junior Pena. Let's finish it up. All right, this is the last thing we're going to do. Okay. It's a lightning round. Oh, uh, okay. I'm going to ask you things that you like. Oh, uh, okay, cool. So this is like, you don't have to think as hard. Or I, you might think harder. Nah, I, I'll just go with the soul, the heart. What's your favorite color? Blue. What's your favorite food? Uh, Pizza. Favorite place you've ever traveled? Spain, Barcelona. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, that was a good time. <laughs> do you have a favorite uh, book? Uh, The Will to Change, Bell Hooks. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> Uh, what about like a favorite TV show or what do you Fresh binging? Prince of Fresh Prince of oh, Bel Air is my favorite TV show. Sick. Binge watching uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine from the Jump. Yes, <laughs> Nine Nine, that's so great. Uh, what about cartoons? Do you ever watch cartoons? I watch a lot of cartoons and a lot of anime. <laughs> What's some anime that you like? I know you like anime. What's some yeah. anime you like? Oh man, I love Samurai uh, Samurai Champloo. I love. I'm a big Naruto fan. I, I'm a huge One Piece fan, and I'm fully caught up in reading the manga. <laughs> um, uh, food Wars. I mean, a whole ton of them. I, I, I need watch to watch food, food Wars. Food Wars is good. Because food, food anime good. food looks better than real food. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty awesome. It's a little over the top in some areas, but it's actually pretty awesome. Wouldn't be anime if it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't be anime if it wasn't. You got to watch that for sure. God. God damn. What's the coolest college campus you've experienced or explored? Um, Maybe a couple. A couple, I would say Oxford University. I actually got Mm -hmm. to check it out. It was cool where Harry Potter was shot. And uh, UCLA. I'm a big fan of UCLA's campus. That was pretty awesome. I really like USC's campus in in Southern California. It's a really big, beautiful campus. I really like Furman University in South Carolina. Mm. They brought me out there for a talk last year. I had no idea anything of the university or the college. And I uh, get there and I'm just like, man, this is country club shit. Yeah. All right. You're in the South South. (laughs) Yeah. Like Plantation South. Holy shit. Plantation money. (laughs) Yeah. It was pretty pretty wild, man. It's a whole culture. A whole aesthetic. (laughs) Do you have like a favorite movie? Oh, uh, Dirty Dancing. Yeah? For sure. Okay. <laughs> That's such a good soundtrack. Nobody puts Baby in the Corner. <laughs> okay. I wasn't, I just wasn't expecting that one. All right. Yeah, Hell Dirty yeah. Dancing. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, all right, last thing. Uh, what's some music you like listening to? Maybe all uh, time and current. All time. All time. I'm a big Jay-Z fan. Current. I, love- I saw your tweet. Yeah, I'm a big Jay-Z fan. Uh, current J. Cole. J. Cole's kind of like just speaking to my soul lately. So, mm-hmm. yeah, big J. Cole fan. You kind of got to look like J. Cole, too. Yeah, you know, I'm trying to rock it. Yeah, a little bit. That's cool. <laughs> well, hell yeah. Anything last thing you want to say to anyone listening? Um, nah. Actually, follow me on social media at Junior the Young. <laughs> hell yeah. Junior the Young. Yeah. <laughs> I dig it. Give him some follows. Thanks so much for chatting with me, man. Yo, thank you for having me on. This was cool. Yeah, now let's watch some TV. Yeah. (laughs) 
That was it. That was the episode. That was the conversation with Junior. I hope you enjoyed it. I loved it. Junior's one of my favorite people. And this conversation kind of cemented that again, knowing that we got some good people in the field doing some good work and then coming at it with a really good and big heart, uh, trying to make sure that the students get the support and the help they need. That's what I love to see. And that's what I see in Junior. So I absolutely am thankful that he wanted to sit down and chat with me this week. Uh, also, uh, if you liked what you heard through Sirius Black, go to wearenearmint.com and get yourself a copy of the new Moon Talk EP. It comes out March 29th. Get that in your earballs. Also, go to connectedu.network to learn about all the great podcasts that are in the network that I'm a part of, the Consortium of Higher Ed podcasts that are out there. Uh, and then go to patreon.com slash art of survival and support our nonprofit. That would be really, really helpful. Go to artissurvival.com to read the stories and to learn more about what we do. It'd be really helpful. You can also become a monthly donor at that Patreon. That'd be really sick. Would love that support. Would love it. Uh, beyond that, uh, excited for Katie to come home this weekend. Uh, I know that they're going to be really bummed to leave the tour, but I'm going to be excited to just have them around again. Um, and yeah, we'll try to get them on the pod. I'm sure they will. It might take a minute because they're going to have ordinary life whiplash. But yeah, I know it's been a massively transformative experience for them. And I absolutely love that. So can't wait to get that on the record and to hang out with my best friend again. <laughs> all right. That's all I got for the episode. Uh, we'll be back next week with a new one. Until then, let's get to work. Closer to the park where everything collapsed, so I got this pet.